do. We pray to you, Lord. We love you and we serve you and we thank you that you are breathing breath into our life. And so, God, as we seek to worship you and to seek to hear from you, we pray that your spirit would be upon us and within us and move in our midst and help us to be able to love like you love us. So whatever you need to do in our hearts, help us that to Help that to happen in this time, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen, amen. So that means you agree with the idea of having God work in our hearts and our lives, right? Amen, amen. Jared, thanks for making the trip again. And if you're visiting with us or brand new, he'll be coming on board full-time in the summertime. So appreciate that. And I uh, appreciate the band just helping us to be able to worship and connect with the Lord. And um, we have this particular prayer that we've been praying as a church. <clears throat> asking for the Lord to move in our midst. And so let's pray this together. Father, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual breakthrough in my life, in our church family, and in our community. Fill us with humility, unity, and passion. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. And may the name of Jesus be held in high honor in all that we say and do. Amen. Amen. I'm going to continue to pray that the Lord's <clears throat> strength and power will be upon us in this time because I have another um, staffing transition that's going to happen. Now, this particular uh, picture we used in the, in the traditional service to talk about some expressions of worship, but I'm going to use this for my heart and my soul because it's kind of like uh, a big uh, uh, noisy gong in my soul. So Kelly Fink is our business administrator and treasurer. She's like my right hand in so many different ways administratively. And as an empty nester, their dream was to perhaps go to North Carolina and move there. And daggone it, the Lord has opened up this way for that to happen. And so four weeks from now, she is moving to North Carolina with her husband, Mark. And uh, next Sunday will be her last Sunday with us because she had already planned a long time ago to, to be out of town for a di totally different reason. And, uh, it's like vacation. And before I gave her a vacation, I was like, sure, sure, go ahead, take it. And now I'm like, no, I want to take it back, you know. And, uh, but I'm, I'm excited for her. So we'll talk more about that next week. But just to let you know, and an email went out, so a lot of you already know. And, um, but that's, that makes me kind of feel like, uh, you know, a little bit sad, a little sad. But that's okay. No, it's not okay. Where is Kelly? She was probably in the first service, right? And it's like, no. So guys, I'll tell you what. Uh, let's see here. I want to go to, we already talked about the app, so let's go right here for a second. So in the midst of life and in the midst of everything that goes on in our lives, we're seeking to connect with God's love and spirit, and we're praying that God's going to provide in all these different ways. This is kind of the, the month of love. We've been talking about that. And, um, and I saw I wanted to go to, you know, the really romantic um, movies of all of the DC comics and Marvel comics. Are you a bigger DC fan or Marvel fan? No, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it because that'll create controversy, right? Um, whether you like, you know, the Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, those types of things, Iron Man. Um, so I started thinking about this. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing. Some of you scholars out there that go off and do a PhD, here is a possible PhD topic. Why is it that as our world becomes more secular in a lot of ways, by that I mean less concerned with God or anything supernatural, which certain parts of our society have moved that way, right? Why is it that there's also, simultaneous to that, this huge increase in our interest in things superhuman, supernatural, superpowers, that kind of stuff? Have you noticed that? Like, there's, there's no end to 
uh, movies and TV shows and stuff like that that talk about the supernatural or magic or witchcraft or evil or, you know, superhuman types of things, right? So you're welcome for that PhD. You're welcome. That's going to work. Here's another PhD topic. Oh, my goodness. I hope all the nerds in all of Marysville came today, right here, right now, right? Here's another PhD topic. Why is it that Iron Man right now became so incredibly popular with this whole idea that a superhero has a superpower of science? Has that ever struck anybody as strange? You know, here he is, he ha- and you're like, I've never heard of Iron Man. I only read the Bible and watch Christian movies. Well, for the rest of us, let me talk to the rest of us for just a little bit, all right? Iron Man has a superhero kind of ability where he has scientific breakthroughs that just he understands. He understands and he comes up with these crazy, crazy science things. And we've been infatuated with that for a long time in our culture, as we should be. There are superhuman feats, it seems, that happen sometimes. And this particular picture represents the smallpox vaccination. Now, if you think about smallpox, now we hardly ever think about it. There are kids that probably don't have any idea what it is because it's been eradicated. We did away with the disease all around the earth, right? It's amazing. But for 2,000 years until that happened and until we figured out a, a smallpox vaccination, for 2,000 years, people would suffer with these, these skin spots that hurt and it just brought on this huge amount of pain and if you died because of it it was like misery every day it just got worse and worse and worse like it was a horrible horrible disease and if your kid got it it broke your heart apart I mean it's just horrible and people cried out to God God give us an answer give us an answer and this particular guy Edward Jenner worked with a milkmaid and the milkmaid's son because they realized that somehow you could use um, some cowpox disease to create a a vaccination for human smallpox. And as they figured that out, they started saving lives, and then they saved more lives. And for about 150 to 200 years, we tried to get that vaccination throughout the whole world, and eventually we succeeded, did away with the disease. Now, in some ways, you could say that's like a superpower, right? That's amazing. That's amazing that we could do that. We're trying to do that with all kinds of different diseases. So we, we search for and we want this kind of superpower, but we also know that for every superpower or superhuman kind of thing that we seem to be able to achieve, that which we can use as good, we can also use as evil. So that kind of a development could also be used, the understanding that it brought us could be used for biological weapons. Think of atomic energy. We start figuring this stuff out and it seems like we've got these superhuman breakthroughs. Oh, this is amazing. We've got all this power and we can build power plants that are gonna help people and get electricity to all these people. Oh my goodness, let's just, let's figure this out. But then we also know that that same technology can be used for evil. So as we get all these powerful technological advancements that seem superhuman, we also need simultaneously superhuman moral leaders leaders in morality to come alongside and say, hey, look, if we're not careful, our hearts will become selfish and hard and we will use these things for evil. So you have to have superhuman kind of superheroes with these kind of superpowers to step forward and say, wait, we have got to use these for good. If we don't have leaders that stand up and explain that and lead in that way, there is no end to the number of people that are going to use it for their own selfish gain. We know that. That's the story of history. You get some great technological advancement like the wheel. Oh, this is going to be great. It's going to really help people. And then they create chariots and mow people down. You know, it's like, ah. So you've got to have 
You've got to have the, those people that will stand up and say, wait, this is, this is truth, this is goodness. We've got to lead with that kind of understanding. Thankfully, Christians, we have this very superhero. Here's yet another PhD dissertation that you could do research on. Is there a correlation between our infatuation with superheroes and the fact that there was a superhero that we do deeply, deeply, deeply yearn for, want, want to connect with? You know, part of, part of our innate desire for the superhuman and the superhero is because we were created for a relationship with God with a true superhero. I see a few smiles of nerds out there. You're like, that's a really good point. It's a good point. We have that, but this is a weird expression of superhuman, superhero kind of strength, isn't it? This one, remember Jesus is the son of God. He's, he's one with God, but yet human as he's walking and talking on earth. And at one point he says, look, I could call on thousands of angels to come out and defend me and fight and slaughter people, right? I mean, this could have been Jesus comes to earth, people are mad to him, and he wipes out humanity. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he limits his power, and he allows us and our sinfulness to affect him, him. and it says he became sin. The Bible talks about all this. He became sin for us. He absorbs it in himself, and he's like, look, I will take that on myself so you don't have to pay that penalty, and you don't have to live with that guilt forever. If you'll let me take it, I'll take it, and I'll die, and I will then raise from the dead and show that I break that power for each person. Like, that's a crazy, crazy cool superhero story, and the reality of it can completely change you from the inside out. So on the cross, he's, he's there, he's being crucified, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, you might say... Well, that's good for Jesus, but just like any good superhero movie, that's for a superhero to do. Us regular people can't do that. We, well, there's no way. Somebody's trying to pick on me like that. If somebody's trying to kill me like that, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to tear them down because I'm going to retaliate, right? Well, turns out regular people can actually live that way of Jesus. It's crazy. In the book of Acts in the Bible, this is a a different book than the Gospels that talk specifically only about Jesus. The book of Acts is like a little history book of the early Christians. So you think in the first century AD, AD 35, 36, 37, you know, 57 AD, that kind of stuff, these Christians. And you're like, wow, that guy looks really good for living back then, 2,000 years ago. No, that's not the actual Stephen. That's a representation of Stephen. Because in Acts chapter 6 and 7, it talks about this guy, Stephen, and he's basically a guy that runs a food pantry. Okay? So in the ancient world, people were starving, just like hungry people today. You know, they start starving. Other people had enough, and they, they wanted to share with those other people. So in the early Christian churches, they were gathering together food and they were distributing them, especially to widows. Because if you're an older lady and your husband died and you didn't have a husband and you didn't have the land and you didn't have the, the occupation and stuff, you could starve to death. And so they were trying to care for people. The problem is, once you start following Jesus, all your old habits die hard sometimes. Sometimes you change really fast, but sometimes you don't. And in this day and age, some of them were racist. It's a good thing we don't have racism today. 
But back then, they did, right? You know, like, yes, of course we still have racism. Any way that we can hate on other people, we'll hate on other people. You know, that's a human way. It's terrible. But back then, as people started following Jesus, they were trying to serve all of these widows, but they realized that there, were, there was a section of widows that were of a different ethnicity than the ones that were getting enough. And so the Christian leaders, they heard this outcry, and it was like, wait, this is unjust, this is unfair. And so they decided, wait, we've got to find some really good leaders that aren't racist, that are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who are following Jesus rightly, and we'll have them be kind of like the food pantry distribution channel. And so they, they did, and Stephen was one of those guys, okay? And I got this off of the internet. This guy, we'll call him Steve. Hi, Steve. Uh, he runs food pantry. Now, the reason I wanted to put that up there is, isn't it about the most ridiculous thing that you would ever be mad enough at a food pantry guy that you'd want to kill him? Steve is a nice guy, right? You know, he's like, look, I'm just trying to collect food and give it to people that are hungry. What would ever make somebody that mad at that guy that they would want to kill him? Well, you dig into the story and you find out that Stephen was a follower of Jesus in the same city at about the same time that Jesus was turned on by the religious leaders. They turned against him. They turned on him and they arrested him and they beat him and they killed him. In that same city, now Stephen is trying to run a Christian food pantry. You see the problem? The religious leaders that also had political power, they looked at this guy, Stephen, and they're like, wait a second, your leader, Jesus, (laughs) we arrested him, we beat him, we stripped him naked, we hung him on a cross in front of people to die, to make a statement so that people like you, Stephen, would walk by and be like, whoa, if that happened to that dude, I think I need to find another leader, (laughs) right? I need to switch political parties. If that guy just got, you know, hung on a cross to die, I I better back down, not follow that guy. So this is a dangerous place for Stephen to be running a food pantry in the name of Jesus. But when he's given out food, He's giving it out in the name of Jesus. He's like, look, Jesus loves you. We love you. We're giving you this food in the name of Jesus. Giving you this food in the name of Jesus. It's not just about us. It's about him. And he would start talking to them about Jesus and to try to lead them into this relationship with Jesus. Because he's like, that's the most important thing. You're going to be dead a lot longer than you're alive. So let's get you right with Jesus so that in eternity, you're going to have what you need forever and ever. So they're mad at him. They arrest him. They're like, hey, if you did that in the name of Zeus or something, fine, but you can't do that in the name of Jesus. And so they arrest him and they put him on trial, right? And now you might think that Stephen's going to be like, well, that didn't work out well. Here I'm following Jesus, but instead of being patted on the back and getting a Jerusalem Man of the Year award, instead of that, he gets put on trial by these guys that just took part in killing Jesus, Those people, this high council, they're looking at Stephen, they're accusing him of blasphemy, they're making up stuff about him, saying he's an evil guy, they're making up all kinds of reasons to kill him. And remember, there are different ways that they could execute him, right? So they're probably thinking in the back of their minds too, how how do we want to kill this guy, right? And so in the midst of all that, as he's giving his testimony back to those ruling people, it says, at this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became bright as an angel's. For some reason, his face started looking like that of my wife. (laughs) Valentine's Day, folks, Valentine's Day. It's good, it's good. Oh, it's good. You see what I did there? Were you listening? Were you listening? Yeah. (laughs) Now check this out. In the Old Testament times, when somebody started speaking on behalf of God, sometimes their countenance changed. 
and it signaled to everybody, something, something's different here. And I've talked with people before who have said, that public figure, that speaker, when I went and I heard them, it, 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 he or she just like lit up. Like it just seemed like different. And it was like, it was like God was speaking directly to me. Does that person have my you know, house bugged? I mean, how did that happen? And that's kind of this moment. It's like this hushed moment where everybody's looking at Stephen and they're, they're picking on him. They're making up lies about him. They're tearing him down. They're telling him how bad a person he is and how he deserves to die. And Stephen, instead of just passively hanging his head and saying, well, if you're going to pick on me, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I'm sorry. I'm just whatever. Remember, nonviolent people are not always passive. You don't have to be passive if you're nonviolent. In this case, he stands strong. He stands up upright. He looks him in the eye. He's speaking on behalf of God. And he says in Acts chapter 7, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Now that's an odd thing to say to the people that could have you killed, right? Can you imagine face to face? And he's saying this directly to them. He says, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. And now he's not being exactly figurative, is he? He's like, you all just had him arrested. Yeah, the Romans did the dirty work of actually driving in the nails, but it's because you put him on trial and you accused him and you took him to the Romans. You all killed him. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. They had this understanding that the law of God came from God through these messengers of God, and they ignored it, and they killed Jesus the Messiah, and now they're looking at him with hatred, looking at Stephen with hatred. So, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and you get that, right? You know, if you knew the lawyer and the judge that were on the other side and trying to accuse you were really scumbags and they were doing horrible stuff and you called them out in the middle of the courtroom, it's probably not going to go over well, right? They're probably not going to say, oh, you're right, I'm sorry, our bad, we repent, you go free, right? They're probably not going to do that. And in this case, they definitely don't do that. They're infuriated by Stephen's accusation. They shook their fists at him in rage. And then it read, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, check that out. He's he's probably about to get killed by these guys, right? But he doesn't back down and he speaks the truth and God then gives him this spiritual vision that he needs to know that Jesus is alive, he's risen from the dead, and that Jesus is cheering him on. That's an important thing. I would have liked, if I was Stephen, I would have liked to have had that vision before going to court. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I'd like to go into the courtroom knowing that I had this powerful spiritual experience with Jesus before the last minute. But instead, it's like God holds off to see what Stephen's going to do. Is he going to speak the truth or not? Is he going to stand up for, for God or not? That's a scary place to be where you feel like you've got to speak the truth or do something that is good knowing that bad things might happen to you and you're not sure if God's going to come through and help you or not. In this case, Stephen speaks the truth and then he sees this vision of Jesus because Jesus knows what's coming. He knows this truth word that's spoken is going to get Stephen killed. So Jesus is with him. So we read, then 
those people of the, of the ruling council, they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting and they rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. They're taking literal rocks and they're beating him with it. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named, say it with me, Saul. You, the, you folks that grew up in church, you know who this guy is. This is the guy whose name got changed to Paul by God later when Jesus blinded him in this spiritual experience and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He heard from this same Jesus from heaven. Later, his life's going to be changed, but right now, he's like a terrorist. He's, he's against Stephen now. Now picture it, okay? Maybe he's a young kid at this point, right? So maybe he's not old enough to like be the one to actually grab the rocks and kill him. We're not sure kind of how this works, but you can see, you know, maybe he's like this young teenager who's there, and he's like, hey, 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 Jacob, give me your coat so you can pick up a bigger rock. And this other person over here is like, oh man, I want to pick up this jagged rock to beat him in the head with it. And, and so Saul walks over and goes, hey, hey, give me your coat. I'll watch it while you go kill him. Like that's what Saul's doing. And that's the guy that wrote like half of our New Testament. That guy. Can God change people from the inside out? Yeah, like this is crazy. And you can imagine then that later on, he remembered this because Stephen, as he's getting hit with rocks where they're stoning him to death, Stephen prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Then he dies. Final rock hits him, right? Now think about that. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. He's yelling it again and again. Lord, don't charge them with this. Don't hold them guilty. Don't, don't, don't damn them. What would our normal reaction be to somebody that's trying to beat us with a rock? Would it be, God, don't damn them? No salty people out there, right? You wouldn't say the other thing, would you? No, like, this is countercultural. Like, this is crazy. This is superpower love. This is superhero love. This is the love of Jesus coming upon him, where he looks at those people that are picking on him that are trying to kill him, and he looks at them, and the hatred that he's feeling, he somehow forgives them in his heart and says, Lord, don't hold this against them. Saul saw that. So Saul, later, when he's writing to Christians about how to behave, he's seen it firsthand. I can picture him writing this, remembering, as the Spirit of God's put in on his heart to write one of the most powerful chapters in the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. You want to Google something later today? Google 1 Corinthians 13. There's how to spell it, 1 Corinthians 13. But remember that the guy that wrote that was protecting the coats of people so that they could beat Stephen dead with rocks. And now his heart has been changed. And he writes words like this. He says, if I could speak in the languages of all the earth and of angels, but don't have love, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had faith that could move mountains, but don't have love and love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything that I have to the poor and sacrificed my own body, I could boast, but if I didn't have love, I would have gained nothing. That's that guy who saw this go down. He saw Stephen's love. And eventually, he's reminded of it. He writes about what love is like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Right? 
It doesn't keep records of wrongs. That means when you're mad at your spouse, you don't have permission, if you're a Jesus follower, to bring up all those bad things that they did before and cut them down with it. You don't have that right. You don't. You gave that up when you started following Jesus because that's not love. There'll be another Valentine's Day next year. You can make up for it then. Or today, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Saul saw that exhibited by the guy, Stephen, who was dying for his faith, speaking the truth. Stephen got the idea from Jesus, who died for all of our sins. That Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward will be great in heaven. And you will be truly acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. God is kind and loving to us even when we don't deserve it. How many of you ever were almost in a car accident and you got spared and you have no idea why? Raise your hand real high, real high, real high. Look at this. Look at this. This is crazy. Those of us, I remember, I should have gone when it was green and for some reason I didn't. And because I didn't, this car ran right in front of me, you know, through the red light. Would have broadsided me, probably would have killed me. This is like 10, 12 years ago. Now, I'm sitting there going, Maybe it was luck. Maybe it wasn't, right? Good grief. My kids could have grown up without a dad. All I had to do was push the pedal when it was legal for me to do that, right? Is it because I was some great holy guy, whatever, better than other people? No. I guarantee you, like, there were other things that, you know, man, I wasn't as holy as maybe some of you all are, right? We don't just deserve it and then God gives us blessing. God blesses us all over the place, whether we deserve it or not. So then he says, love others, even love your enemies. Jesus said, you've heard that it said, love your enemy, but, or love your, I'm sorry. I better have you read this with me, shouldn't I? This is a really big deal. This is not easy to do, folks, I know. Let's, let's read this together. You have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. There are places in the book of Psalms that if you piece it together, just kind of pluck it out of the Bible, you can make it look like God says, love your neighbor, love good people, love the people that love you, but hate your enemy. You can do that. I, I was looking at that recently in my own devotional time. I was like, oh my gosh, this might be where Jesus is pointing to say that the Jews were like grabbing it and his, you know, Jesus was Jewish, so he knew the Bible frontward and forward and he was like, this is probably where they're grabbing this from. And he's like, don't, no, 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 that's a misinterpretation of God's love. Love your enemies. It says, pray for those who persecute you, and that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you do that, it will change you, and it might change other people. Or they might kill you. I mean, let's be real, right? It's going to change you. It might have that effect of changing the other people, and many times it will. In that devotional book that we've offered to you guys, if you want to kind of go through that and be reminded of what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection does for us and reminding us of that every day, there's stories in there about radical transformation where somebody loved somebody and forgave somebody that you would think would never, ever happen. One of them was a girl whose own dad was going to sell her to a, to a, a human um, sex trafficker and her heart and she was saved by some Christians that came alongside and she was able to to love and forgive and kind of the family was reconciled and her dad finally changed and became a Christian and and loved like this is real stuff it's not just back Bible times like this happens now 
So like if you pray for those people at work that are stabbing you in the back, I guarantee you, as you pray for them regularly, your heart will become more healed. It will. And you'll become stronger spiritually. It'll happen. It might change them, and they might change their behavior, or it might not. You might just have to endure it. You see where the realistic expectation is, right? You don't follow Jesus for what you're going to get out of it in this external world kind of way. You follow him because your heart will be whole and healed. Your soul will be released from the bitterness and the rage. And you will be able to be changed such that in eternity with God personally and with the family of God, you will be joyful forever and ever and ever. That's what you're banking on. In this life, we'll just have to see. We'll have to see. So let's just go into this time of prayer. I'm just going to put some images up here and explain them. We're going to pray literally for our enemies. So God, I pray for this guy who's now dead, but he went against my dad and his occupation. And if there's still bitterness in my heart because of what he did, forgive me for that. And I pray for him that he would be blessed in eternity with you. Maybe he didn't know what he was doing. Maybe he did, but bless him. So as you're praying... Bless those people that are against you that might be backstabbing you in business. Hopefully your spouses are are loving you, but if they're cutting you down, if they're backbiting, that kind of stuff, we're going to pray. You're like, what are those people doing? They're walking up and stuff. Well, we're going to be having some people in just a second in prayer stations on the sides. And if you say, I just wasn't strong enough to pray that, but I know I should. I know I should. Would you pray with me? Then we're going to have prayer partners that are going to be up there. And while we're singing in a minute, if you want to be prayed for, then you come and let them pray for you. Sometimes it's too hard. you like, look, I just can't get the words out, but I want to. I want to pray for that person. Let them kind of start praying and then see if you can pray too. So God, I pray for relationships that are really struggling because words have been said that cut like knives and things have been done that were backstabbing. God, we pray for our enemies. We pray for those people that have hurt us. We pray for them. Let's pray for mean girls. This is real, man. I can't even imagine how some girls feel when other girls turn against them. So God, we pray against the spirit of evil. But for the people that are being evil, God, we pray for them. We pray for those mean girls that they would have a heart change. Whether they're they're 12 or whether they're 92, if there's evil being done, We pray for those mean girls, and we pray that you would help them to experience your love and your grace be changed. World leaders, Lord. Other world leaders and other other people and other militaries that would want to take us over, we pray for them. Right now, I join with South Korea, praying for North Korea. Probably millions of people praying that the North Korean leaders would come to you and would change from the inside out. So we pray for them. Bless them with your spirit for the leaders of Iran and and Russia. And those that are in power that that really do hate us, want to manipulate things, want to take advantage of us, we pray for them. We pray that there would be revival in their hearts and in their land, and that you would bless their land as people turn to you and start to love Jesus. We pray a blessing upon them. (laughs) God, for our political parties and the divisions there, For those that we feel like are enemies that might destroy our country, we think. We pray that you would bless them with your spirit, with your love. May we be with them in eternity because they turn to you for forgiveness and love. 
for the guys that bully the other guys happens at all ages. And so for the guys that are here that have been bullied and picked on, whether at school or work or at home, we pray for the enemies of those guys. That you would love them and that you would bring them into your kingdom. That you would forgive them and free us from hate in our heart, Lord. And for our, our country and world and even our own denomination, when people are fighting over things like sexuality and politics and our understandings of religion, our understandings of the gospel, and Lord, we're at odds. We pray for those that we might identify as against us or that are enemies. And like Stephen, we pray for them. Don't hold it against them. Maybe they're, we don't know why they have the, the, the views that they do perhaps, but we bless them, we pray for them, we pray you forgive them and turn them to you and through Jesus be saved. And then for, uh, for those that hurl literal rocks at Christians in different places in the world, we pray for the enemies of those Christians, that those who are persecuting the Christians would see the love of the Christian just like they did Jesus, the persecutors of Jesus, and just like the persecutors of Stephen. We know that this is happening around the world where the persecuted are offering love and grace to their persecutors. So we pray for the persecutors. And for those that might turn against us, when we stand up for truth, we pray for our enemies, that you would love them and, and bring them into a relationship with you, just as you did for Saul. So God, when we look at images like this that remind us that there are literal people out there that might want to do us in, that are against your son Jesus, fill us with love for those people. Unmask them in our own hearts and minds that these are created beings of yours where you want them to know Jesus and to be able to be in your family forever and ever as your children. So we pray that you would wake them up in the middle of the night with visions of Jesus. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move in their heart and in their life. And pray for even more testimonies of people that, who have hard hearts of atheism or some false gospel or false religion. I pray for more testimonies for us to hear of people that turn to you and realize your truth Give them visions, give them feelings, give them thoughts. Help them to know directly your love and your grace. And so, Lord, in that time, that love for the enemies, and as we pray for them, we pray that you would release us from hatred and bitterness. I pray you would heal people right here and now in their soul and in their bodies that have been mistreated by people that that were abusing them or mistreating them or speaking ill against them. God, set us free from that bitterness and that rage and give us peace within. Help us to know that we are beloved by you and that you love us so much that Jesus absorbs all of that bitterness and rage and hurt and frees us from it because he rose from the grave and he gives us your strength and your power and your Holy Spirit. Bless people right now in Jesus' name and God's people said... Amen. Amen. We turn it over to Jared. Yeah. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You 
will cry, these bones will sing. 